0: Hi, this is Dr. Ziegenbein, your favorite rheumatologist and fibromyalgia expert coach. Fibromyalgia has the capacity to rule and even ruin your life. I am here to show you how to stand up to it, how to be your fibromyalgia boss once and for all. All right, so Dr. Afolabi Brown, sleep medicine physician, coach, speaker, works at University of Pennsylvania, correct, in Philadelphia, and a founder of Restful Sleep MD. Can you please tell us, my listeners, can you introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us what you do? What is your major area of interest and in business?
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Like you had mentioned, I am a, I'm actually, I'm both a board-certified sleep medicine physician and pediatric pulmonologist. And so really what I do is I help children breathe better and sleep better. And by extension, I help the sleep of their parents. And that prompted me to establish my business, which is Restful Sleep MD, where I empower busy professional moms and their children to prioritize sleep so they can move from just being so exhausted to thriving and reaching
0: their fullest potential. Thank you. And I do apologize for not saying that you were board certified. I didn't mean to take that away from you. I'm sorry. Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) So thank you for that introduction. I am super excited that you are here. As you know, I have a winning and fibromyalgia podcast and sleep deprivation, lack of refreshing sleep is a big deal for patients with fibromyalgia. So I do want to talk about it. I'm not even sure where to start, but basically if I present it to you, and i do have a little bit of her biology myself and if i said dr brown i just wake up every morning like feeling like i was hit by a truck like mm-hmm. i am tired where would you start like tell me your process that is such a you know that is so true that's exactly
1: what the complaint is is I feel like I was hit by a truck and even after nine hours, sometimes nine hours of sleep. So, you know, I kind of take it back and first acknowledging that this struggle is real, especially with sleep and fibromyalgia. And then we... We sort of dive more into some details and really my approach is looking at sleep in essentially like three different categories, the type of sleep issues. So sometimes it's it's an issue with quantity of sleep. So, you know, while adults are recommended to get seven to nine hours of sleep, a lot of times because of modern day technology and everything else that's going on in our lives, many times we're not getting the right quantity. So that's where we start with and we kind of delve into that. But one of the things I also observe with people with, you know, chronic pain, whether fibromyalgia or even mood disorders is there's lack of motivation and it's not like they're not getting enough sleep. Sometimes they're in bed for a while, for hours, and they may have gotten more than even the recommended number of hours of sleep or still feel exhausted. And so that's where the sleep quality comes in. And really, we explore so many things. In that category, in and of itself, because there are many factors that can impact the quality of sleep we have. So it could be, you know, internal factors, it could be external factors, it could be underlying disorders, like you mentioned.
0: Yeah. Right? I, so I'm curious, okay. is it okay if I interrupt you so that I can give, give you follow-up questions? Oh, yes. So first the uh, first question was for the quantity, do you just use like a regular, I don't have it right now on me, but like Fitbit devices? Is that how you measure quantity? Of- no, you know. There's a
1: balance. We measure that just of asking them, what time did you get into bed? What time did you fall asleep? What time did you wake up? So that's one. But one of the things that I love to use that really gives me a lot of data without necessarily making people overwhelmed, especially a lot of people with fibromyalgia also have like insomnia. And with that, they already have racing thoughts and they're worried about their sleep. And so having another gadget to track their sleep. Sometimes in some situations may even cause more anxiety. Um, For others also, it's fine, you know, so I don't necessarily discourage it, but I don't use that as my mainstay of tracking. Mm -hmm. What I usually would use is a sleep diary and it's like a good old paper and pencil where it has specific items, exactly what we said. The reason why I feel like that's helpful is it's something that, you know, you kind of, it helps you kind of do some reflecting, like, okay, how was my night? What time did I go into bed? Around what time did I wake up? what time or around what time did I fall asleep what how did I feel how was the quality Mm -hmm. of my sleep when did I get up so we kind of review that after a week or two and then go into detail to say okay what was going on on this night it seems like you were in bed for several hours but you only slept four hours you know and we kind of delve into that so that's why it's
0: important to have the sleep diary so I understand that I understand the rationale. I like to see the numbers for myself like how many hours so yeah that being said yeah yeah no that being said that's
1: totally fine and Honestly, I do work with either the Fitbit or, you know, even our Apple Watches and now the Aura ring. There's so many gadgets right now that's out there that does track your sleep and it does help as well. I think sometimes though people get obsessed with, oh, this my device said I only got light sleep. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm deep sleep. We don't really know how accurate those things oh, are. Okay. So we try not to perseverate on that.
0: That was my next but question. It's helpful. That was, yeah. thank you for the clarification and elaboration. My next question was about the quality of sleep. So let's say you determine, mm-hmm. yeah, you do go to bed at nine, you get up at five. So theoretically you get, you know, those eight hours, tell me what questions do you ask or how do you determine the quality and how do you then further go down that route to determine mm-hmm. what's causing a lack of quality Of sleep Mm -hmm. and then what to do about it. And I probably will be interrupting and asking questions, but
1: absolutely. I love (laughs) this conversation already. So when we now go more into quality of sleep, there are a few things again, you know, we're looking at that from sort of three main buckets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We cannot talk about more of the medical sleep disruptors that can be affecting the quality of sleep so to tell you whether you got good quality sleep or not it's it's nothing can tell you that no device no gadget it's only you the reporter you're the one that knows how you felt right mm. so that's something that's 100 self-reported even if it seems even if your device or your tracker says wow you got like tons of deep sleep but you wake up and say i feel like crap then that's what we're going to go with. And that's what we're going to work on. And so the medical, there's like medical things that can impact your sleep. So medical conditions uh, like, you know, sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome, which also is very common in, in fibromyalgia actually, or, you know, asthma or other, any medical problem that can actually disrupt your sleep because it fragments the sleep quality. Pain for sure is something that can affect your sleep as well. So that's the medical. And then the middle part is the sort of behavioral category where we're thinking about habits. We're thinking about behaviors that can impact our sleep. So this would be where things like, oh, my gosh, I drink caffeine. I drink gallons of caffeine every day to stay awake or I am on my phone at bedtime and so that, you know, my brain is constantly being stimulated because of that. Or, you know, I like to take naps all day because I'm so exhausted. So those are behaviors or patterns mm. that we may get into that can affect the quality of our sleep. And then the third part is the more of the, I call it sort of that category where it's issues present during the day, but also have manifestations at night.
0: Like what do you mean? Give me some
1: So things like anxiety, oh. depression. Or, you know, for some children, it might be ADHD or autism or things like that. Yeah. So all those things can affect our sleep. It's present during the day, but then at night, all those things can also be, you know, impacted. Your sleep can also be impacted by all those things as well.
0: I love the categorization. You know, I love that you said it's the three buckets. So how do you start? Like, so let's say you have a patient with fibromyalgia. They don't have a known sleep, disordered breathing yet or anything, you know, they don't have a known medical problem that happens at night. Is that where you start? Do you start evaluation with recommending a sleep study or like, how would you approach it?
1: Yeah. So, so depending on what's going on, if they say they have, you know, discomfort in their legs, for instance, and it, the, what they're telling me sounds like restless leg syndrome, then sometimes I don't necessarily have to get a sleep study. I might be able to okay. just check some things, check ferritin. Put you mean you medicine, talk to them treat. first?
0: yes <laughs> exactly exactly. exactly without thank just you thank you for test. correcting me I jumped <laughs> in that, I jumped directly into the because that's what I wanted to talk about but yeah, thank you so you talk to your patient or client <laughs> yeah. first exactly so, exactly, exactly. And then so decide we, and, yeah okay. and then we decide and then we decide we don't all
1: get we don't I mean sleep studies are very subjective information that really shows us what's going on in the during sleep but Not every single patient that comes in necessarily has to have a sleep study. One thing I would say is, especially if it's people that are struggling with insomnia, then I don't want to bring them in for a sleep study where they're just going to be staring at the ceiling awake. Right. That's not going to be the solution. So Mm -hmm. essentially we'll be able to tailor their treatment. Based on what their complaints are, if they say or their partner says they're snoring, then of course we'll get a sleep study. But if it's more of, you know, if they say, well, I just feel fatigued and we screen and we look also at things like, you know, thyroid disease, all those other things can impact your sleep. So we're making sure that there's no other medical issue. It's just more of this fibromyalgia and maybe just the pain and just the the discomfort that's contributing to the insomnia then we we'll go straight down and, and tackle it from there right
0: so it sounds like you basically uh, listen to patients you examine them and you determine what seems to be the prevalent the most prevalent issue but let's say you yes. have a person who does report some snoring let's say they do have some restless legs plus minus let's say they don't have asthma let's skip that uh, they do drink some coffee they do have a lot of screen time who doesn't <laughs> Let's say that you also report some anxiety. I'm kind of reporting myself here a little bit. I, may, I don't want to reveal too much, but basically where, and as a disclaimer, I did have a sleep study 13 years ago and I was mm-hmm. diagnosed with mild sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. And I was told that it's not severe enough that I need a the device. Ap- I was fit for the brace, the mouth brace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but yeah. so anyway so let's go with that suggestion you have somebody who does snore who has maybe some restless legs they drink coffee they have a lot of screen time plus yeah. minus naps during, the day, naps during the day and they have some anxiety or a lot of anxiety mm. so when you have more like when you have a little bit from each bucket how do you decide mm. am i i want to every, make it difficult for you yeah i love that i love a good challenge
1: <laughs> every one of those things is causing the sleep problem. Now it's hard to figure out like what the factor, but one of the things I really recommend is for us to set patients or our clients up for success. We want to make sure that we eliminate anything that's essentially outside of their control, right? So if you have a medical condition like sleep apnea, depending on the severity, we already know that sleep apnea could be potentially life-threatening. It causes poor cardiovascular outcomes, increased risk of stroke and Abnormal heart rhythms and also hypertension and things like that. So those are things I want to address sooner rather than later. If you have things like this, maybe restless leg syndrome, and we find out it's related to sometimes it's related to low iron stores in your body. And so we want to address that. Those are medical. If you have thyroid issues that, you know, we want to make sure we're treating that. Right. So that I usually will try to make sure we address the medical stuff first, because Mm -hmm. those are things that may have potentially devastating outcomes if we ignore them. And then we start to work on more of the kind of behavioral problems because those are, although I mean, they seem relatively easy to fix. I mean, it's challenging, especially if we've been in in habits for a while, right? To yes. just say, Oh yeah, get off. And that's the thing. That was part of why I really wanted to create this, um, you know, create a platform, or in that sense, to educate people, like me just saying, okay, get off your phone. Your phone is, what's the cause of your sleep issues? Bye-bye. Like that's not enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes we're in those habits and we've been in them for a while. And sometimes, especially if we have an anxious mind, sometimes that's our outlet. So we cannot come up with a strategy to win you off the caffeine, to win you off the device time, you know? And so we cannot start to tackle those things. And then, Definitely, of course, making sure that the anxiety or depression or other mood disorders are being addressed as well.
0: So uh, before we go to the second and third bucket, which is the behavioral issues and the issues Mm -hmm. that happen during the day, like the mood issues. Do you have like you have a set of labs that you order yourself or you have your you have the primary care providers order those labs like thyroid and iron stores and so on? Yeah, typically I'll just have the primary
1: care doctor order them. Usually we'll just send a, in my clinical practice, right? We'll send them, you know, recommendations. These are things that we might want to check and things like that. As a coach though, I nudge the, the, you know what I mean? Because with my Mm -hmm. coaching, I'm not necessarily seeing patients and Mm -hmm. providing medical care, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of suggesting this sounds like we may need to have this checked out. You want to speak with your, um with your physician about it. But, you know, basic, basic labs, like, you know, the white count, hemoglobin, iron stores, mm-hmm. thyroid function tests, you know, and then, you know, sometimes even vitamin D levels can be low and things like that. Those are all things that can contribute to okay. sleep disturbances and just more of the fatigue that we
0: see. Well, let's say we took care of the first bucket or mm-hmm. may we are waiting for the... For the labs. the labs, and you have recommended a sleep study. The sleep study showed mild apnea or didn't show any apnea. So, where do you go next then? How do you approach it next?
1: And so that's where you know definitely for you know in a situation like that, if you have underlying mood disorder, we're kind of treating it. You're not leaving. I'm not going to leave you extremely anxious or depressed and say, oh well, wait until your sleep study. You know we're treating that concurrently. As well, making sure that you're seeking appropriate counseling, therapy, psychiatry help if that's something
0: that's needed. And then, uh, sorry to interrupt. I was, like, if they do have known underlying anxiety and depression, do you usually get uh, clients who usually who already have like psychotherapies and horror medications, or you are the one starting? Most they, of
1: the time, if they, if they come in with a diagnosis of anxiety, depression, like I'm not going to, I don't necessarily diagnose them with that. Mm-hmm. Um, If they have screen high and they have, you know, symptoms or, or that are suspicious, then, you know, I definitely want them to seek counselor, a therapist for that because, you know, sleep is very interesting. And, you know, while at the end of the day, yes, you come in and the main complaint is sleep, but then we sort of help tease out what is pure sleep? What is purely a sleep problem? What are the other things that will need you really partnering with your provider to make sure? Because if you are, if you have anxiety, depression, and they need to help with your medication adjustments and things like that, then I would prefer, I'm not a psychiatrist, right? I would prefer that we have you under the care of one and we can partner together to say, okay, these are some you know, medications that, you know, they, you may want to consider and things, but then that's sort of their own area of expertise.
0: Mm-hmm. So, no, and, and I appreciate that. So let's say that the medications are optimized and, you know, yes. they have anxiety, but it's controlled or depression. Perfect. And they, you ruled out obstructive sleep apnea mm-hmm. or it's being treated already with a CPAP mm-hmm. and they come back and they're like, I'm still tired. Like, yeah. So what do you do Great.
1: that? I love it. So do they, they're still tired. Now, have we established that they're sleeping enough? Do they have insomnia? So those are also things that we're, while we're talking through all this, because if they do have insomnia, then that's something that we absolutely then have to address. Now, you know, I talked about like, you know, of course we hear a lot about sleep hygiene and sleep hygiene, but if you have insomnia, you're going to need more than just sleep hygiene.
0: And what do you mean by that? Tell me more.
1: Okay, so sleep hygiene is this, it's a term we use to describe specific behaviors that promote healthy sleep. So the things like avoiding screen time, as much as possible, close to bedtime, not drinking caffeine, you know, not taking naps, making sure your environment is cool. It's dark and noise free. All those things are essentially under that sleep hygiene tips category. If you have someone who has insomnia, insomnia is an, is an actual diagnosis, which is also something we see in people that have fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. Insomnia is difficulty with falling asleep, staying asleep, or early morning awakening that is associated with discomfort and dissatisfaction, as well as daytime effects. So just like what you said, you have someone who's like, I'm exhausted all the time. I don't sleep well. I'm exhausted all the time. I wake up frequently at night. I'm exhausted all the time. I have a hard time falling asleep at night. You know, so that sort of falls under that category of insomnia, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the way we then address, there's a standard way by which we treat insomnia, okay? And that's um, what you call cognitive behavioral
0: therapy for insomnia. Okay, tell me more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And before I even go there, I would say that, so we're, you're seeing like you've given a, an extremely more complex patient scenario, client scenario, right? So while we're addressing you know, the insomnia, we're also addressing all these other, what we call comorbidities or other associated issues that are going on. So cognitive behavioral therapy is actually the gold standard for treating insomnia. And essentially what it is, it's usually provided by a licensed professional who's certified. So either a sleep physician or behavioral sleep medicine providers, psychologists, and things like that. And what they do is help with addressing Thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors around sleep. And so the short form is CBTI. Mm. C is the cognitive. Essentially, these are thoughts that we may have intrusive thoughts, negative thoughts around our sleep. Things like my day is going to be a disaster. I didn't sleep well. I'm going to flunk my test or, you know, you just think of the worst case scenario and you're worried about your sleep, constantly perseverating around it. So they address those kind of thoughts. The B is sort of the behaviors and the different strategies that's put in bed, just different things like we call things like stimulus control, which is trying to limit the amount of time you're spending in bed, not sleeping things like sleep Restriction, you know, really trying to match the amount of time you have in you are you're in bed, trying to match that with the amount of time you sleep. Stimulus control is trying to change the association that you have with your bed, where you may be in a situation where it seems like your bed has become a place where you're worrying a lot. So we're kind of breaking those kind of um, associations as well. So it's a whole whole program, usually mm-hmm. lasting anywhere from about six to eight weeks, and it's very effective. You know, lots of studies have shown that. Studies that have compared it to sleep medications as well have shown it to be very effective as well. Oh, really? Yes, yes. What except is that. that what is, except what? Yes. Yeah. Except that, you know, with sleep medications, you're talking a lot of sometimes side effects. Sometimes people have problems tolerating the medicine. Sometimes people stop responding to the medicine. But with CBTI, it's you're really just re. You know, changing people's thoughts, changing people's habits, and things like that. So what is the success rate?
0: Yeah, what is the effectiveness compared to the meds and just in general? Like, is it because I would think it's not easy to change human thoughts or behaviors, right?
1: Well, you know, it's very again. This are lots of. I don't have the exact numbers, but lots of studies have been done. And actually, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine has actually you know released a paper saying that. CBTI as the gold standard. Now, the thing about it is it takes some time. Unlike medicine, medicine just kind of fixes the issue, you know, almost right away. Again, CBTI are strategies that you can put in place that then lasts longer. Right. Lifetime. It, yes. But it takes more. It takes a little more. It takes more engagement. It takes more motivation in that sense. But it may even start yeah. with not being too motivated, but it does work. And these are not necessarily like crazy, you know, It's more of those deconstructive or ineffective thoughts that we have around our bed, you know, around our sleep. And sometimes you may not even start with those thoughts yet. You may need to focus more on, okay, you're laying in bed for hours. Let's find a way by which we get you out of bed when you're not sleeping and doing other things so that you can go back to bed when Mm -hmm. you're sleeping.
0: That is wonderful. And what I was going to say is, is that what you do yourself with your clients or you refer out for the CBTI and you focus on something else? So
1: what I do is essentially coaching them through this. So I do mm-hmm. implement this um, framework as well, depending on what the issue is. Again, we coaching a lot of what I see, especially with the women that I work with is one, they have a lot of things that are not allowing them sleep. Sometimes it's obligations. Sometimes it's difficulty with setting boundaries. Sometimes it's their kids, which is very common. You know, I have people who come in and it's like, yeah, my five-year-old gets into bed with me every day at 2 a.m. So yeah, of course you're not going to sleep. So we walk through that where I teach the coach them to coach their their children to sleep better.
0: (laughs) I'm like listening to and self-diagnosing myself. My child is with me in bed.
1: (laughs) And that's a big, and so even if you started off and, or sometimes it's the mind racing, it's just like, my mind cannot shut down. I feel horrible. And then I'm napping all day. So I'm taking everything. And then I'm Mm -hmm. taking that with the sleep diary. So I'm not, again, not necessarily directly providing medical care, but starting you off in a way where, Mm -hmm. okay, what are things that we're going to be able to eliminate? What are those elements, the framework of um, CBTI that I can provide for you? Realizing that if we now need to get to the point where, okay, we need you to take medicine or we need you to, you know, then I have to say, okay, these are thoughts. This is the direction I think you should start to go now, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, most women just, again, with the clientele that I work with, most of the time, just really starting them off from that, you know, sometimes it's just like,
0: okay, I got my kid out of the room. Thank you. And Mm -hmm. also sleep better. (laughs) But it's, I think it's rare that it's just one problem that fixes it Mm -hmm. uh, or that one modification or one bucket solution. So my follow-up question is like, what do you see as success stories? Like, do you see patients who got cpap who had had some cbti or who just did uh, behavioral changes and they come back and report improvement what do you see yes. as you know as a result as a outcomes in your, yes. your in your practice and in your coaching business what do you see yes yes
1: absolutely i love that so in my coaching what i've seen is things like someone coming in to say i just couldn't get enough sleep i'm always exhausted and And it turned out out by the time we, you know, we dug deep that she needed help at work. She needed a scribe. So that was what we're able to, because it was, and also we worked on getting the TV out of the room. So you know what I mean? Like it was more of those kind of things. And we made sure that, you know, she was able to put her phone, charge her phone outside of her door. And so those were a lot of things that we were able to realize were contributing to her sleep problems.
0: So wait a second, so, I was mm-hmm. just going to follow up. So she was, she, I assume it was a physician who got a scribe and left, yes, her, yes. And, and left a phone like outside of her bedroom and she got better. Yeah, that was okay. all she needed to do. How did a scribe help her? Was it because she gained some hours that it, she would have to spend? Exactly. So
1: it ended up being that it was boundaries issues. She was mm-hmm. bringing everything into her into her bedroom with her. She was bringing her laptop into bed. She was bringing her, you know, and then there was TV on and, you know, she didn't want to, you know, her husband would love to watch TV in the room. And so that was affecting the quality of sleep she was getting. And and so with getting a scribe, she was able to be done with work at work. And so she didn't need to bring her laptop into because that ended up being what was making her mind race nonstop. Because when you finish, you've typed all these notes up and then you try to go to bed. No routine, no wind down, no transition. Her mind was just not stopping. And so sometimes it's as simple as that. And that's just, it takes a lot of digging deep because now we're going not just, we're going beyond sleep.
0: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It sounds simple. Like, oh, a scribe solved my problem. But you had to first work with that person and figure out what, like, basically that's what it is. Yes. Finding the root cause or digging deep. So that is so good. So good. Do you have any other examples of what, or or what has helped you personally, if you're willing to share? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, to answer your question, where my like my
1: in terms of my clinical practice are separate from the coaching is, yes, we've had situations where it's a it's a mix of everything. We've gotten them on CPAP, made sure that they're practicing healthy sleep habits and worked on on their insomnia. And so they're using this. And if you have insomnia, sometimes it's really hard to fall asleep with CPAP. So in that case, we had to say, okay, what is more critical right now? We need you to at least be able to fall asleep first, because if you're up all night, you're not going to wear that CPAP. So we cannot, you know, we kind of have to then tailor our treatments based on what's going on. Right. In some situations, it may be like. Again, because I I also take care of kids and kids also have sleep apnea where parents, you know, they're sleeping in two different homes, right? They, Mm. you know, they spend time in both parents' houses. So how are we going to make sure that your sleep routine and, you know, your schedule matches what's going on when you're in dad's house versus your mom's house, for instance? So we kind of then start to bring the entire family in to say, okay, (laughs) we need to work on getting, you know, patient to put their CPAP on, but we have to make sure that their schedule is consistent. We have to make sure that, you know, there's someone available to help with setting up the CPAP and things. So that does take time as well, but it's definitely something
0: that can work. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that basically sleep difficulties or feeling tired is not like one shot or one trick mm-hmm. pony. Basically, mm-hmm. the person needs to spend time with the provider, physician, or like, do you think that it's sleep medicine physician who should be leading the workup or primary care physician? About who do you think should start? Typically, I think there's some things the primary care physician may be able to tease
1: out. You know, when you talk about like, oh, I'm feeling tired, I think the primary care physician can really look and say okay is this fatigue what are the causes of fatigue what's going on and send the basic maybe do the basic workup and then they say oh no i can't sleep you know we've ruled out any underlying medical issue then you know they can either pass them over and say okay i think you need to see a sleep physician to then lead this complete this entire workup and they may dig deep and say oh yes oh it seems like you're really depressed and maybe start them on you know antidepressants while they're doing that
0: What do you tell to patients who, so when I take history, I see, as you know, I see a lot of patients with hermyalgia and I Mm. I confirm the diagnosis and I give my suspicion about, like, because they do report either snoring or that the spouse reports they wake up, Mm. you know, snoring at night. And they tell me, I'm not interested in pursuing sleep study at this time. What do you tell them when they have like this specific preference to not go down the the medical bucket route, what would you say to them or how would approach it?
1: Well, I think it's going to make things very tough because if they have a medical issue, especially if they're snoring and it's persistent snoring, like about three, at least three times a week, and they're waking up feeling tired, it really makes it hard to set up for sleep for success overall, because Mm -hmm. if you have underlying sleep apnea, That can be the cause of your daytime sleepiness. That can be the cause of your fatigue. It can be the cause of early morning headaches. That feeling of being hit by a truck can be because of sleep apnea. Because what happens with sleep apnea is your throat literally is shutting up during sleep as your muscles relax. And so you can not get oxygen in and then your brain is constantly waking you up, creating this stress, you know, fight and flight response all through the night. And so you may have gotten enough sleep, but you ran a marathon because your brain was on hyper alert, trying to make sure you don't get deep sleep. From the so hypoxia, because, You mean, from, because from, of the hypoxia? From the, yeah, because of the hypoxia and as well as because of the arousals you
0: get. Arra- yeah. Because
1: then your your body triggers this response to cause your brain to kind of get out of deep sleep into lighter sleep stages. So if that's the issue, we don't know what's what. We don't know if it's the pain from fibromyalgia. We don't know if it's the sleep apnea. We should treat the sleep apnea and then see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely try to, almost like vaccinations are good for you. I would say if you have sleep apnea, we should get you
0: treated for that <laughs> and, and then really see what's left. And how do you order? Like uh, when I order on in my Epic medical system sleep study, I think I have I get several options like sleep study with titration, sleep study without titration. What is the proper way to order a sleep study?
1: Just a baseline sleep study is usually sufficient. Okay. Yes, especially if you are a... um as a, if it's a general practitioner, right. Or like if you ordered it as a fibromyalgia specialist, I think ordering a baseline now with adults compared mm-hmm. to unlike children, you can actually order home sleep tests. So and Do you
0: that's think that's awesome. good enough? The home sleep test? Do you think yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: For, for as long as they're not too many risk factors, as long as they don't have, like there's some certain conditions, like if COPD or congestive heart failure, some of those things you may need to get an in lab type um, sleep study, but if it's a uh, you know someone
0: who's otherwise healthy. you know otherwise and- healthy, I think a, a home sleep test is good. What does it actually mean? Like, this does somebody come to set up a person with electrodes and stuff at home, or what is this home sleep test?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's actually this. It's set up with it's a it's a device that really is really small. It has belts depending on what the device is and what that does is it measures your your breathing to see if there's an obstruction that's occurring you also have a nasal cannula that you put in your nose because when you're if you have apnea you may have efforts so you'll see the efforts on the belt but because there's an obstruction you'll see that the nasal cannula is reading that there's a flat you know there's an obstruction so that's Mm -hmm. really how it is you also have a pulse ox. So that will measure the oxygen concentration. There are different home sleep tests that are available. Some actually now may are able to measure your brain waves. So they can you can tell what stage of sleep people are in. And although you get more detail on that when you do an in-lab sleep study. But most times now, we usually what we'll do is order the home
0: sleep study first. So that's in most cases, that's acceptable first step. Oh. Yes, acceptable first step. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that is fascinating. And, you know, talking with you just confirms my, you know, very deep suspicion that feeling tired as the major, as the main complaint or chief complaint is a very complex topic. Like Mm -hmm. that in rare cases, maybe you can have like one or two things that will fix the problem if you fix the thing. But in most cases, it's multifactorial, as we like to say, and Mm -hmm. it does require deep digging. So, do you have any words? So, as far as sleep in general, do you have any tips or advice for my clients and patients with fibromyalgia and our listeners with fibromyalgia?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I think the first thing to start off is to build on basics. And so, one of some of those basics are, you know, the fundamentals. Uh, again, I have a framework that I use, which is to create healthy sleep habits. And so having a consistent sleep time and wake time. And the reason why we want to do that is we want to make sure that our internal clocks are in sync. And so when we have that, when we're not sleeping in several hours on one day, waking up at 8 a.m. today and
0: then 12 noon tomorrow, uh, it, kind of our, <laughs> it kind
1: of just confuses our bodies. <laughs>
0: So you're saying it's better for the body to wake up every day, the same day and go to bed the
1: same day and go to bed about the same time. time In fact, the waking up in the morning is just because it sets off that circadian rhythm and exposing yourself to bright light as possible. That helps your mood. That helps you to be more alert. And then the other one I would say is having a routine. And a lot of times I see people just go from work and then they just go straight to bed. But it's good to have a wind down to just let you kind of calm down. The third is making sure that you have an environment that's cool, that's dark, and that's noise free. And then the reason why, again, is those are things that can absolutely disrupt your sleep. A is assigning your bed to sleep. So your bed should not be the movie theater, your bed should not be your video game room or your dinner table or things like that. So your bed should only be for sleep and for intimacy. And then technology that's a whole talk on its own it's really trying to address and minimize technology use about 30 minutes to 60 minutes before bedtime and so it's not like you can't use it at all but you probably want to limit it when it's very close to bedtime because it does cause a lot of arousal that yeah. makes it hard
0: for you does reading on kindle does that count as technology or i can write it off as a reading <laughs>
1: No, you have, you can write that off as reading okay. as long as you're not someone who's too sensitive to light because as long, and also as long as the
0: Kindle is put in like night, mode, night shift mode. Yes, that's yeah. fine. You a you pass. Okay. <laughs> what, what sleep aids yeah. do you recommend that are natural? Like I use melatonin. Is that something you mm-hmm. recommend for humans to use? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Melatonin is good. You know, That's really one of the ones that I feel like it's, you know, it's relatively safe. and It's not habit forming. A lot of the other aids tend to be habit forming. So we try to avoid that.
0: How about valerian root? What do you think of that?
1: That's also something that, I mean, it's, again, the studies that I've looked at that are not necessarily very robust, but anecdotally, that's definitely something that
0: people have seen that it helps improve their sleep. And I have to ask you, I hope you understand. I have to ask you about the THC gummies. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. So those help kind of fall asleep, but we're not necessarily sure the quality of sleep you get and how that compares to natural sleep, you know, are not, you know, it's not necessarily well proven. And so that's something that, you know, of course, especially people with chronic pain and things like that, while it may help with those elements, It doesn't necessarily duplicate natural
0: sleep. Oh, okay. So, people who have trouble falling asleep, you said it helps. I have had several patients report to me that Mm. after they started with the THC gummies, and sometimes they tell me just like a third of them or half of it, that they Mm. feel like they have no problems. Yeah. Mm. The next day, or even with sleep, they feel much happier. Yes,
1: it's been used in so many other disorders. And sometimes it may be that it's kind of helping with taking the edge off when it relates to that specific problem, underlying problem, and then it has the benefit of helping their sleep as well.
0: So to summarize, we talked about when people have severe fatigue or tiredness that they should be evaluated. We have three buckets mm-hmm. we look at. We look at medical underlying condition. We look at behavioral issues that surround the sleep, like that happened during the day mm-hmm. or before the bedtime and then issues that happen or mood issues. Mm-hmm. Then we just now talked about uh, we talked about obstructive sleep apnea and mm-hmm. what to do and the healthy habits basically are saying to me and my uh, listeners that we need to pay attention to what we do before we go to bed what we do during mm-hmm. the day and that mm-hmm. and what we do then in bed and at night mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. basically treat it as a precious cargo in our sleep because it's really important. Any, where can people find you if they want to connect with you and maybe, you know, get coaching about sleeping? Yeah, absolutely. So my
1: website is a good place to find me, restfulsleepmd.com. Okay. Dot com. Yes. So that's definitely a good place to find me. And I'm also on Instagram at restfulsleepmd. So those are two places.
0: Oh, Instagram. Okay. All right. So you might get some followers, including myself. (laughs) (laughs) And any last kind of words of wisdom or advice before we let you go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Of course, I loved it. And out there, if you're struggling with sleep, I think there are things that you can start off with and you can still get good sleep. You can start by just prioritizing sleep, making it something that you're intentional about. And a good place to start is creating those healthy sleep habits. That's a good place to at least start. And then you can build on from there. And the thing about it is sleep is free. So,
0: right. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to ask you about meditation. I'm sorry. I meant to ask you about meditation, whether you think it's helpful. Some studies have shown that it does. Very,
1: very helpful. So as part of your routine, I know I didn't really go into detail in terms of those healthy sleep habits as part of your routine. Mindfulness, breathing, meditation, journaling, any activity that really helps reset your clock in that sense or reset your, just re- re- unwind is good. And meditation is definitely one of them. And there are different apps. You can do guided meditation. There's so many apps out there. You know, I don't, I'm not an athlete for any one of them, but, you know, there's so many resources that you can use that yeah. can help.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Would you be willing to share your secrets to your restful sleep? <laughs> it's the
1: consistency. I would say what I do, what I tell people is what you I make do. my point. Yes. What I do is I make my appointment with sleep as if I'm making my appointment with my doctor oh. because sleep is treatment. When I mm. sleep, my brain is getting detoxified. Is treatment. I love it. Sleep is sleeping. my brain is getting detoxified, my energy is getting restored, my immune system is getting rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like going to multiple doctors all at once, or like so a spa, like it... a medical spa, exactly. So, I make it an appointment that I don't miss, mm-hmm. and that really helps you set boundaries such that TV, mm-hmm. you know, other appointments, other people's, you know requests and things like that does not deprive you FOMO as well does not deprive you of sleep. So that's what I do. And that helps me get amount of sleep that I need. And I think that's just been
0: the very foundational for me. Thank you so much for that advice. And I love what you said that you, what you tell people to do, you do, you walk the walk, (laughs) you talk the talk and you walk the walk. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time and expertise and sharing the knowledge, your generosity. And we will share in the notes where people can find you. And thank you so much again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) If you love this episode, please share with someone who can benefit from it too. I'm also available on Facebook. Uh, My personal page is Martina Lenartova, L-E-N-A-R-T-O-V-A. And my business page has name Martina Ziegenbein Coaching, Z-I-E-G-E-N. B-E-I-N. As always, I appreciate lovely reviews or any questions, concerns, or suggestions, I'm here for it. My website is www.winning@fibromyalgia.com.